Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Community Church in Springfield, Missouri. Christ Community features life-giving, verse-by-verse teaching from the Bible. If you would like more information about CCC, you can visit our website at cccspringfield.org. We trust these messages will challenge and encourage you in being a faithful follower of Christ. dealt with the first five verses last week. Today, he will uh, render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life, but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also to the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Would you go before the Lord and ask him to speak to your heart? In the uh, late 1980s, Gayla Benefield worked at a small town in Montana. She was reading meters for the local utility company. And she noticed that there were many people home during the day, especially people in their 40s and 50s, and many of them were on oxygen tanks, sick with various respiratory diseases or lung cancer. Puzzled, she decided to do some investigating. She discovered a toxic of asbestos, vermiculite, was used to insulate many homes during the harsh Montana winters. It was also used as a soil conditioner in parks and football fields in the area. She tried to tell anyone that, she, that would listen about the dangers of what was happening. Um, problem was nobody was listening. Uh, one journalist, Margaret Hefferman, later reported the story and told NPR In fact, she became so annoying and kept insisting on telling this story to her neighbors, to her friends, to other people in the community. Eventually, a bunch of them got together and they made a bumper sticker which said, yes, I'm from Libby, Montana, and no, I don't have asbestosis. But Gala didn't stop. Uh, A scientific researcher soon confirmed her suspicions and even still, Many in the town argued that, well, if it's really that dangerous, the doctors would have told us. The fact is, over 400 people died from the substance. Uh, 1,200 were affected, and in the end, the EPA spent $120 million cleaning this out of this small town and to treat the residents. Heffernan, the journalist, said... There's a lot of willful blindness around these days. 85% of people know there's a problem, but they won't say anything, end quote. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans to warn about another kind of disease, a disease of sin 
and its corresponding consequences. And many people have the same response as residents of Libby, Montana had with asbestos. There's a lot of denial uh, that this is really real. Um, Yes, many tire of hearing a message about judgment. But Paul's message later on in the book in chapter 3, he kind of brings some of the the good news. Yes, we have this problem, but then he says in chapter 3, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to receive by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so here in this passage about judgment, we see God offering up this tremendous offer of grace and salvation in Jesus. And yet mankind still refuses this forgiveness because he rejects the reality and the sentence of his sin. And so we read in verse 6 of Romans 2, he will render to each one according to his works. Now let's remember who he's talking to. Chapter 1, he talked to mainly Gentiles. Chapter 2, to Jews or religious people. You might say, Uh, For our purposes uh, today, evangelicalism might fit within this, okay? Uh, Every religious person who takes shelter in their religious community instead of in Christ, I think should take heed here, that your works will come under judgment. Now remember, the Jew was looking at their works to be acceptable to God. They had rejected Christ. Some moralistic Jews, self-righteous people might think today, I am better than anybody else. I'm okay. And Paul is making the claim that the works of a person, not their religious heritage or background, are what's going to be judged. So we shouldn't be confused, though, as we read this, that Paul is claiming that we're justified by works. Every person, Jew or Greek, uh, religious or atheist, evangelical, Catholic, Presbyterian, it doesn't matter. If you don't have your foundation in Jesus Christ, you're going to be judged up against God's perfect standard of righteousness, and you're going to be found wanting. No one can pass that test. Everyone fails. Everyone has evil deeds. And everyone will receive a just recompense. If you have no covering in Christ, you are left to simply be judged by your works. Jeremiah says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So he's saying the Jew cannot count on his Jewishness. We might say today, The evangelical cannot count on the fact that, you know, he walked an aisle or he's a part of this or that Christian group. The issue will be whether we have redemption in Christ. 
And if you don't, then the weight of each sin you'll have to pay. And if a person is depending on his or her deeds as a means of justification, he will get exactly what his deeds can deliver. Verse 7, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. Now, first of all, let's acknowledge that everybody is going to have eternal life in the sense of their life will extend beyond the grave. Even the non-believer will live beyond the grave, even though it will be life in hell. And so everyone's life will extend into eternity. But eternal life doesn't always mean that. Eternal life, when it's used in the New Testament, can often refer to the quality of life that one enjoys, okay? And that includes here on earth and in heaven. Paul said, fight the good fight, take hold of the eternal life. Take hold of something now, eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And Jesus said, I came that you might have life, and you might what? A certain kind of life, an abundant life. That's like an eternal life. In 1 John 5, we read, and this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have the life. So there's a, a certain quality to life for those who are in Christ. Christ called it abundant. Elsewhere, it's called eternal life. Now listen, there are two ways in which we can look at this verse. And I think both are true, so whichever way you want to look at it, uh, one of these two ways, I think you'll be fine. The first is that Paul is referring to the evidence of those truly converted who show their works as patient well-doing. The point is that, and we have many other passages in the New Testament that talk about this, of the necessity of, of fruit and good works of those who have truly come to Christ. James said that your faith without works is what? Is dead, right? So there's to be certain actions or results that come from our faith in Christ. When the Spirit of God resides in the new believer, they are a new creature, Paul said. There's a a transformation that will result. Uh, Fruit will be present. Change must happen. Could be that's what Paul is talking about here, and some of that change he specified in verse 7. There is another way that people interpret this passage. And that is that Paul is staying with the theme of kind of smoking out the religious moralist who is intent on hiding in their religion. He's simply stating that if anyone perfectly obeys the law by patiently persisting in doing good, then eternal life could be earned. Paul seems to state in verse 7 a kind of transactional statement that, you know, if you live in well-doing, God will grant them eternal life. In other words, you do this, God will give you that. But we know that that is not the salvation offer. 
However, Paul could just be making the point that those who want their life based on their religious deeds to be acceptable by God, uh, they're going to have to live up to a certain standard. And Jesus said in Matthew 5.48, you're to be perfect in that standard. Paul speaks of glory and honor and immortality. Uh, these are the elements of many Jewish hopes. Paul is, could be just setting the hook and later demonstrating that none of them could be acceptable to God on this standard by obeying the law because we're all lawbreakers. I mean, if you think works are the ticket, then it's only going to reveal your self-righteousness. Later in chapter 3, Paul says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. So verse 7 is not just a twist of a phrase, but an offer for the Jews to face their own logic. Oh, you want to go by works? Great. You do these works, you'll get this result. Good luck with that. Verse 8. But the, for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. So Paul is saying here that those who fail, those who are self-seeking, uh, there's going to be certain consequences. And the problem is that most Jews would not have felt like this would have been their fate. They would not experience wrath and fury because they're better than everybody else. They thought they were covered with their heritage, with their good works. And Paul would soon dismantle that. The self-seeker places his or her desires above the will of God and regards their own self-gratification as more important than the needs of others. The idea here about self-seeking is the same idea as like a mercenary uh, who does his work simply for the money, regardless of how that might cause harm in other people. And as a result, they find themselves on the wrong end of God's estimation of their life and their work. And it's going to be worthy of wrath and fury. Wrath is the punitive outworking of God's righteous indignation because of sin. And fury speaks of a, a quick, kindled aspect of wrath. In verse 9, he says, there will be tribulation, distress for every human being who does evil, uh, the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the idea here is that there's going to be consequences on earth and in heaven. Uh, tribulation has a root meaning of extreme physical pressure. It's sometimes translated anguish, affliction, persecution. Distress means a, a narrow place. It's, it's used to refer to like a, a solitary confinement, which would be a, a terrible punishment. But that's a, actually a description of hell, a, a solitary confinement where you're isolated, lonely, um, and it's eternal, and there's no hope of release or escape. I mean, that would be a terrible fate. Wrath and fury. Tribulation, distress. Why? 
because of the, every human being who does evil. Now, I think there's a more present threat that Paul could be referring to when he says here, to the Jew first. Why, why would he say the Jew first? I mean, God's wrath is going to come to all who do evil. That's, that's true. Without respect to Jew and Gentile, there's going to be, you know, no favoritism. But the Jews are going to be first in line for God's judgment. And why is that? Because the Jews were given more light. They were given more reformation, uh, um, information, revelation. God chose them to be his people. They had all the benefits of his, of his presence in the Old Testament. They had all the benefits of Jesus being presented to them as the Messiah, and they rejected him. So they're going to be first in judgment. Amos wrote, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. But then he went on to declare, therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. You know, you look throughout the Old Testament, you find repeated attempts between the minor and the major prophets asking Israel to repent of their idol worship. Asking them to to come to God and put their faith in God instead of just, you know, their heritage. And yet they repeatedly rejected God's call. And so as a result, it's the Jew first in judgment. You know, the one who announced certain judgment upon the Jews during even this generation was none other than Christ himself. Yes, this is the same Christ who people see today as the, you know, hippie, puka, shell-wearing, driving a VW bus, peace sign Jesus. That Jesus, if you read your New Testament, in Luke 11, he gives repeated woes, W-O-E, those are, those are warnings to the Jewish leaders of their hypocrisy and of their rejection of Christ. Again, Jesus, you know, the, the one who never judges, people say. By the way, there's a good type of judgment. There is a righteous judgment. There's also a bad kind of judgment that we talked about last week. I won't get into all that. But when Jesus judges, it is righteous, it is good, it is true. It is called for. Why? Because he's God. He gets to do that. Therefore also, Luke 11, the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Okay? So if, if you think of a, of a generation, you know, 40, 50 years out, uh, something's going to happen, right? Now, Jews um, were God's people, but they rejected the Messiah. 
call to them. And Jesus perfectly represents God on earth since he's the embodiment of God. Yes, he was loving and kind, but he also manifested God's righteous and holy character. A perfect God who demands justice. Paul follows the same line of thinking about Jewish religious leaders when he writes in 1 Thessalonians 2, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeases God and opposes all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But God's wrath has come upon them at last. Now that sounds like it's just around the corner. And if we believe that Paul wrote this in the late 60 AD, um, Sounds like something's going to happen. Luke 19, Jesus speaks of judgment again of this generation and says, God's wrath will come, um, or excuse me, uh, for, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. So we get this idea of a sure judgment and a eminent, close by, near judgment. Clearly there's, a, there's an earthly judgment, there's a heavenly wrath and and fury. So what takes place? Well, history tells us, largely through the historian Josephus, um, who was alive during Jesus' time and and the uh, years later, the tensions were mounting for decades and reached a fever pitch between Jerusalem, the Jews, and Rome. The party spirit of the Jews had a hatred for Rome because they did not want to live under Roman rule. They wanted to have their own separate thing going on um, to be the nation that God had called them to be. They thought they would do that. Uh, They had no interest in surrendering. They had no interest in compromising with Rome. Under no condition were they going to submit to Rome. Titus, the Roman emperor, had 80,000 soldiers camped outside the city in April 70 AD. Now just remember, numerous uprisings between the Jews and Rome, right? Now, 70 AD, so this would have been just a few years after Paul wrote his words and within the same generation when Jesus spoke his words. Famine had caused thousands of Jews to try to flee the city, but hundreds were being captured 
and executed by Rome daily. The Jews were still obstinate, still resistant, still refused to leave. Titus now felt that the only way to present, uh, prevent the Jews from getting new supplies would be to completely cut them off. So he surrounded the entire city uh, and, and built a siege wall, totally encompassing Jerusalem. The wall was four and a half miles around. There were 13 large forts around the wall. The building of the siege wall, forts, and platforms for their battering rams necessitated the clearing of woodlands over 60 square miles, basically left the land looking like a desert. With all the provisions cut off from the city, there was a greater famine. Unburied corpses within the city and houses and the streets. The money was worthless because they couldn't buy anything. There was no food to buy. And because of the starvation, a number of Jews tried to further escape, and they were just slaughtered. One day, over 500 were crucified as a lesson to the Jews when they tried to get outside. Titus would even cut off the hands of some, send them back into the city to try to frighten the Jews into surrendering. So desperate did the Jews look for food that they resorted to cannibalism, eating their young. Others ate their own excrement or cow dung. Some were found dead with hay in their mouth. Having finally penetrating uh, the city, the Romans made their way to the temple and they slew 6,000 people hiding out there. The, the temple was totally burned to the ground. That was on August 10th. 70 A.D. It was only smoldering rubble remained along with the western wall. It was said that one man afterwards plowed the area where the temple was and you could not tell that there was even a structure that once stood there. Just as Jesus had said, the temple was completely destroyed. The city was plundered, and around one million Jews lost their life. Josephus, the first century historian, would later write this. No one can conceive a louder, more terrible shriek that arose from all sides during the burning of the temple. The shout of victory and the jubilee of the legions sounded through the wailings of the people throughout the city. The echo from all the mountains around increased the deafening roar, yet the misery itself was more terrible than this disorder. And then he would later add this, I will not hesitate to say what gives me pain. I believe that had the Romans delayed their punishment of these villains, the city would have been swallowed up by the earth or overwhelmed with a flood or like Sodom, consumed with fire from heaven, for the generation which was in it was far more ungodly than the men from whom these punishments had in former times fallen. By their madness, the whole nation came to be ruined. End quote. 
All this came as a result of the hostility of Jewish religious leaders and the hostility they had against God, their rebellion against Rome, that they had against apostles and prophets sent to them time after time after time. And finally, in the person of Christ, their Messiah, they rejected. The tribulation, the wrath, and the fury of God are not to be dismissed. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so if judgment comes first, blessing will also come first to the Jew if they obey or if they turn to Christ. Verse 11, for God shows no partiality. If judging on works, God will show no partiality, what does that mean? Then the Jew does not have a head up. The Jews are not going to be judged on a curve because they're Jews. Their works are going to be evaluated on whether they pass God's judgment, pass the test. Yes, they were God's chosen people. But now the church would be God's program to reach the world. The actual phrase about showing no partiality literally reads, God does not receive men's faces. The idea is that God does not favor a man just given his outward appearance. That could be race, nationality, religion. He's going to treat all people the same when it comes to their works. And so that is bad news if a person is depending on themselves being Catholic, Baptist, AG, Reformed, Republican, rich, white, or the super spiritual, the non-denominational. Each work will be judged according to God's perfect standard. You can't rely on that because none of us can keep that standard but if Paul were to use that same phrasing when talking about the gospel it would have a whole other meaning God shows no partiality Galatians 3 says there is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor free there is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So there we have it again. In this incredible, and we see it later on in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Romans, this very stark, sobering call about judgment, and yet God reaches out and says, but... I offer you this. Now, mind you, he offered his hand to Israel hundreds of times, and they rejected it. And we read about it time and time again. And even Paul here again says, here's the gospel. 
So for those who are saying, well, God is just a God of judgment, I would say, well, he is that, but that's not all he is. He's also a God who offers people the worst of us. Okay? He offers us grace through Christ. That's the good news. Remember that when you read a passage like this of how great our God is. See, he loves you at your worst. And he accepts you because of Christ's goodness to us in the middle of our sin. That's amazing. Yes, he's a God who judges. And if a person wants to be judged just based upon their works, well, you're going to get what your works deliver, which is failure. But for a person who comes humbly before the, uh, the God of the universe and realizes that I can't do this on my own, and I, I'm going to have to fall upon the grace of God. There's our hope. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Christ Community Church podcast. We hope today's message gives you encouragement and hope. If you would like more information about the church, you can go to cccspringfield.org.